What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, by David Lake. Uh, first time in a while we've had an episode. David was on a cruise. He is back. Uh, I'm back in my studio as well, so we're going to talk some Miami football, uh, some Miami recruiting, kind of a free-flowing podcast. Don't have much of an outline here. Just given some current events, uh, first off, David, how are you doing? Uh, yeah. Following the cruise. I survived the cruise, so that's good. Um, you know, not don't want to make light of this serious situation, but, you know, it was, it was somewhat of an uneasy time, especially towards the end of the cruise um, when, you know, the sports world canceled. And things were getting definitely more serious in South Florida and in the state of Florida. But overall, the, the cruise, everything that we know of on my particular ship, everything was good. Everyone feels healthy in my group for now. So keep hoping for the best. And, you know, we're, we're mainly going to talk about sports and Miami yeah. Hurricanes football on this. But... Just on the front end, let's just remind everyone to do their best to listen to the guidelines that experts provide us. Um, I think that's all we can do. Uh, this thing is going to change. The information is going to change. So, you know, as as this process plays out. So I think it's important that we all try and be adaptable to whatever the experts tell us to do try and follow directions as much as possible and you know hopefully this thing can end it i think if everyone does their part this thing can end sooner rather than later uh it's just it's wild man i mean again you know we're not going to go into the whole coronavirus thing and we're just going to kind of talk about how this impacts miami but it's almost surreal that the uh sporting world has stopped and we don't really know when it's going to come back. Very strange. Um, but again, like I, it was the right call. So it, it's unfortunate for sports fans and, and, you know, people who depend on the sports world as a business and, and a means of living. But I think it, it was the right call. We got to get this thing uh, curbed. We got to stop the spreading of this thing. And, you know, all the experts are saying you gotta you gotta make sure people aren't getting together in big crowds and of course sports is one of the one of the ways we do that as a society so anyways let's let's move on um what what do you want to touch on first andrew <laughs> well let's kind of get into uh i guess big picture um the acc i guess was ahead of this in terms of they suspended all i i I honestly can't even remember the wording, suspended all athletics and, and recruiting. And then the NCAA kind of came in behind them and, and they suspended recruiting for at least a month. Uh, the, the one thing I want to start with is um, no athletics. It seems like spring practices for pretty much every football team around the country are going to be a complete wash. That's after I think it, there was the report from the CDC on, on Sunday that they want to discourage any gatherings of 50 plus people for at least eight weeks um you know a football team has uh, upwards of 80 scholarship players so i don't know how you're going to practice but it seems like we probably saw you know the four practices we got at, at those are the only four spring practices miami's going to get yeah i think so my opinion on all this kind of stuff changes day to day even hour to hour but Kind of what I would expect maybe to happen is, as you said, spring football around the country is a wash. I think maybe if this thing looks like it's somewhat under control by mid-June, maybe we see the NCAA allow programs to start fall camp a week or 10 days or maybe even two weeks earlier than was originally planned. So maybe 
again, this is just me throwing ideas out there, but maybe a mid-July start or late-July start um, to, to kind of give even more extra time to the football teams out there because spring football is valuable. It's a valuable tool for, for coaching staffs to put in their new systems, which Miami checked that box with offensive coordinator Rhett Lash to install his new and you know it's also a big deal for players to establish their new roles on a team um so i think if it is possible the ncaa would be wise to maybe start fall camp a week 10 days i don't know the exact number earlier to kind of try and make up for what was missed around the country with spring football I mean, I texted you this, David. I, I know probably every every FBS school in the country is all going to say how their program's at a disadvantage. But I think losing spring football really kind of hurts Miami. You talked about Rhett Lashley installing the new offense. Um, that hurts. You also were hoping to get a graduate transfer quarterback in for spring football. You got one in Derek King. Now, you're not going to get those 15 spring practices with him. I mean, Miami's also had a record 13 early enrollees come in this spring, and now all those guys got was four practices. So I think when you look at it through that lens, I mean, this is definitely not, I don't know, not fair. I mean, it, it just definitely isn't is ideal for Miami. Um, obviously, you know, they got to do what the experts say, but it hurts, I think, Um and yes. uh, am I wrong, though? I mean, like, I know every school, you could probably make well, that same case. I agree. Um, but if I'm going to keep it positive and, and counterpoint that, I would say this. I do think we saw evidence during that first week of spring that Miami did have that, you know, the Rhett Lashley offense is relatively easy to pick up. And I think if you compare it to what we saw the previous year with the Dan Enos offense installation, um, you know, I can't imagine the team missing a spring with last year's offense, the Dan Enos offense, because they weren't getting it, you know, practice 13, 14, 15 of the spring. Um, so I, I I would say that might might be a silver lining. Like I do think the Rhett Lashley offense is simpler. Like that's not just uh, BS. Like it, it is a real thing. Um, and then number two, I would say as well. I think during that first week, Derek King definitely established himself as the quarterback on the team, and as the leader of the offensive side of the ball. So at least that has been established clearly through organized practices. And now I think it is up to Derek King, who's a fifth year senior. Um, so he would, you would hope he would get this, but you know, hopefully moving forward, if he can get back to Miami or, or whatever the situation calls for, I don't even know if, if it's possible, but whenever guys, can get together on offense and work out on their own, you know, not organize team functions with Miami coaches and all that. But you would think Derek King understands, hey, I need to get my guys together on our own a lot this offseason. And I think he's the type of guy that understands that and will do that whenever the time permits, whenever that can be a quote-unquote safe thing to do. Well, you, I guess we haven't even pointed this out. I mean, it is kind of a big deal if you're Miami that you actually got four practices. I think there's a lot of schools around the country that didn't even started spring practices. Um, I do agree. Derek King kind of established himself as the alpha. Uh, so while Manny Diaz probably hasn't, or I mean, he hasn't named Derek the, uh, the starter, I think if you're someone in that locker room and you were there for that Friday practice, which is what we described in the last podcast where uh, King apparently tore it up, like that's your lasting memory of spring football. Yeah. So I think that helps 
as well. I mean, I they, think they know he's deal. the guy. That's a big deal for this team. They didn't have that, you know, until what the second or third week of fall camp last year. They didn't know who the starting quarterback was going to be last year. And also, too, I mean, look, I think, yeah, it's it's not ideal that Miami is installing a new offense and they're missing spring practices. But, like, think about, like, a Florida State, right, where they're going through a total regime change and they're losing spring football. You know how valuable the offseason is for a head coach to establish, you know, not just the schemes and systems, but his culture and schools like Florida state, you know, other schools that are going through total head coaching changes are going to be really behind the eight ball um, with all this coronavirus stuff going on. And another thing, and I know this again, it probably applies to every school in the country, but assuming let's say they were to extend fall camp, you get an extra week. Now maybe some of the guys that were missing this yeah. spring due to injury are, are going to be healthy. So like a Brevin Jordan, uh, a Sam Brooks, um, you're getting those guys in for practices. And again, I know that applies to everyone in the, in the country, but if you're looking for a positive or a silver lining, I think that that needs to be mentioned. I think, you know, look, it's not ideal for Miami. It's not ideal for any college football team in the country, but the coaches who are forward thinking and communicate well because I you know the coaches are still going to be able to communicate with the players whether it's you know via text or whatever Skype I don't know the coaches that do communicate well to their players I think are going to come out ahead of things this offseason because you know that communication is going to be the way that guys get developed this offseason um, and, and I do think Manny Diaz has shown that he does, he is a progressive thinker, so he will have a plan in place to handle this the best way he sees fit. And he's shown that he is a good communicator with his players as well. Like he, they know what he wants out of them. Um, and I think his staff, you could say the same about his staff. They're all pretty good communicators. Um, so I think, yes. The college football world in general, this isn't ideal for anyone, uh, but the teams that that have the best plan to deal with it are going to be okay. And it's going to be interesting to see just how Miami comes out of this, you know, whenever sports and football is allowed to be played again. We touched on it. Uh, recruiting is also on hold for really at least a month. I mean, we're taping this on Monday. Uh, March 16th, I think the NCAA said no on-campus or off-campus recruiting through at least April 14th or 15th. I mean, I think there's probably a good chance that could get extended into May. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so recruiting's on hold. It's all electronic here moving forward. Um, David, if we're going to be honest, I think if you're Miami, you're not maybe freaking out like other schools. And why? Or people are going to ask why. Um I just think, you know, Miami didn't have, and I wrote about this kind of last week, they didn't have any junior days set or planned for the next couple of weeks. Um, They didn't have kids with a bunch of flights booked that were expected to be here for some big event. Like they they were going to try to get some guys to uh, the spring game uh, on April 11th at at Travis Powell Stadium, but it was nothing, nothing major. And I don't know, I think this allows Miami to kind of take a step back, hit reset, um, and then really kind of gear up in those summer months and, and really make a push to kind of fill out the rest of the recruiting class. I mean, would you would yeah. you agree with me? Are you, are you seeing it the well, same I'll, way? I'll approach it on the flip side, right? So that's the Miami angle. I think if you look at the teams that Miami is competing against, for the majority of the, the targets that Miami has um, – you know, Miami's competing against a lot of SEC programs, a lot of Big Ten programs that are out of state. You know, we all know that Miami pretty much stays close to home with their recruiting efforts. And so 
they're competing against out-of-state teams that need these players to take either long road trips or plane flights, and that's just not happening with with this situation. Um, and so guys are staying home instead of getting out and seeing these out-of-state schools. So, yeah, to add to your point, that that kind of does help Miami in terms of recruiting, I think. Yeah, I mean, guys are going to visit schools in whenever they open it back up. I mean, I, I've there's a few theories that have been tossed out, out there right now, how the NCAA calendar is set up. May is a spring contact slash evaluation period. So that's when all the college coaches go out on the road. Um, they see these kids practice. I mean, who knows if there's going to be high school spring football in, in, in South Florida or, or just the state of Florida in general. I, w- I would venture to say that that's a big question mark right now. I mean, who, who knows? So uh, June is, a, is another month that's open, but July's dead. So some people think maybe they uh, flip, flip July to an open period where kids can visit schools. I mean, um, guys are going to go elsewhere, but I think you mentioned Miami's battling these other SEC programs, but you know, I think if you're like a Florida, this kind of in a way kills your momentum. I mean, Florida had it rolling on the recruiting trail some big junior days, and now um, you, you can't get anyone on campus. And I think at times recruiting so uh, momentum-based, where one, one kid yeah. sees another kid do it, and they jump in the boat. So I think this will you know, kind of cl- close the gap a little bit uh, between maybe Florida and Miami. I'm not saying Miami's going to get kids because now you no know, one can visit it anywhere, but I think it definitely would hurt a school like that uh, as opposed to Miami who ha- has a plan in place. But right now, like I said, I mean, it, it seemed like they were more in, in, in kind of wait and see mode and we're going to start really trying to get things going in, in June and July. And I'll right. add, I, Paradise Camp's even bigger now. Right. I mean, basically what we're saying is, you know, Florida was a school with a ton of momentum and then this halts that momentum. Miami didn't necessarily have a ton of momentum. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't like they were rolling. And, you know, when you have momentum, you want to keep that going. Um, So, yes, it it definitely hurts the schools that like Florida that have momentum. Tell me this, though, Andrew. Um, You know, I think. One position that, you know, everyone is always going to be interested in is the quarterback position. Um, you know, we talked about how out-of-state programs are, are targeting the local Miami recruits. Um, on the flip side, Miami has to go out-of-state this cycle for their quarterback. Um, is that one position where it's kind of fair to say it negative this delay definitely negatively impacts things um, or, or at least puts things on hold in a big way in your mind? I do. I mean, I think it, it's becoming more and more clear that Miami's probably going to have to try to flip a quarterback um, once the season goes around. And uh, look, Miami had, had yet to get a, a, a a top quarterback target, uh, 2021 kid on campus. Um, and we don't really know when they'll have the opportunity to, to do that again. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, this, I'm not going to say it hurts, but it's got to change the, the thought process with the recruiting. And I guess it's really going to come down to how good Rhett Lashley is. And I've heard nothing but good things about him, um, with quarterbacks and just developing relationships. And, uh, so that's a, that's a positive, but uh, yeah, it, it changes kind of the thought process and the timeline. I, like I thought maybe Miami could have someone uh, committed or, or flipped by, by June, and now I would expect it maybe to come once the season gets underway and kids have a chance to see really what Derek King and, and Rhett Lashley are all about in, in this wide-open offense. If I'm Miami, I'm really trying to hammer – quarterbacks to visit for whatever date they hope paradise camp is Um, yeah you know i i understand it's it's probably really hard at this time to schedule much anything into the future but i think if i'm miami i start i'm starting to have that dialogue 
with the quarterbacks that that they're interested in. Again, we don't know what the calendar is going to be, but do you think Miami should do Paradise in in June or July? Because remember last year, uh, Miami was really the only school, at least in state, that did a a camp in, uh, or I should say an elite camp in in June. And that was because Miami was going to already be in fall camp during the one weekend. They could do it in July. And that's when Florida State did its Saturday Night Live and um, Florida did the Friday Night Lights. So if you're Miami, do you keep it in June? Because I I think that's what you should kind of do. Even if they open up July to, uh, you know, full go, you can do whatever. My thing, I agree in a vacuum with what you're saying. I am just skeptical that things that were totally going to be through with this coronavirus stuff in June. I'm hopeful that it that is the case. Um, but I, I could see this thing still lingering. Like, I think we'll be on the back end of it, of the of this uh, disease in June. But I still think it's going to be there somewhat and, and, you know, things will still be kind of shut down. So if I'm Miami for this cycle, I would probably be safe and just try and schedule it for July because you would have you would feel better that it's definitely going to happen in July than June, in in my opinion. That's just kind of where I'm at with this whole coronavirus stuff. I mean. No one knows how long it's going to last, but I don't, I hope in June we're through with it, but I'm not, I am not 100% sold that that's going to be the case. Like the NBA is talking about a mid-June start and when they do that, they're talking about still playing in empty arenas. Um, So to me that says they feel the same way that that I'm kind of feeling right now where it's like, okay, we're on the back end of this thing, but we still need to play in empty arenas and, and try and contain it until it's totally done. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, going to do a little recap from the most recent recruiting event, Under Armour uh, Miami, and maybe just talk some, some recruiting in general. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Andrew. So it's now been, I guess, what, eight days. Um, so the day I left for the cruise uh, last Sunday, um, there was a Under Armour Miami camp held in South Florida. Featured, you know, plenty of top local guys um, that are Miami targets. Who, who are some of the guys that maybe flashed in your opinion? at the camp who stands out um that that impressed you at the camp it was weird man it was uh south florida's known for its skill players primarily wide receivers and and cornerbacks and and safeties but it was really the the play of the offensive and defensive line that kind of stole the show and that was kind of a product of most of the some of the skill guys, the top skill guys were out of town at, at various seven on seven tournaments. I know there was a big one in, in Houston and, and another one in New Orleans. But um, d- just to hash out or, or recap some of the top performers, Leonard Taylor, the five star defensive tackle out of Miami Palmetto. He, he was awesome. Uh, I mean, he was the alpha dog. Uh, my, my crystal ball is on Florida for him. Probably going to remain there. I think the, that Florida's in a very good spot, but Miami is is kind of 
involved, I, w- I would say. Uh, although it seems like the loss to FIU took a huge uh, took a huge hit on 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 Miami's chances. Um, two guys I, I want to talk about: Ryan Rodriguez, the the offensive lineman for Miami Columbus. Uh, he was excellent. I think he they they do one on ones. Um, they did him in two different spots at this camp. It was a little weird. But I think I had him going 14 and one uh, uh, during one-on-ones. Wow. The only only rep he lost was was to Leonard Taylor. So we've talked about him on the podcast before. Um, I think Miami's in a good spot there. Although LSU did offer once once the the footage of the camp or they didn't offer. Yeah. Excuse me. They reached they reached out once the footage from that camp made the rounds. And then the other lineman I, I liked a lot was was Lawrence Seymour, who's actually currently committed to Miami. He's a four-star guard at, at Miami Central, the Hurricanes' longest-standing commit in the class of 2021, and he, he was just as good um, in one-on-ones. And I know one-on-ones aren't aren't the end-all, be-all, but you get a good chance to see just kind of how technically developed some of these guys are, how they move their feet, and Seymour was excellent. Same with same with uh, Ryan Rodriguez. So those are just some off the top of my head. Um, with um, with Rodriguez, do you? feel like Miami is somewhat the leader at this stage? Yeah, like I said, I crystal balled him to uh, Miami after that, after the camp. Um, he was on campus for one of the spring practices. I, I think Miami's in a really good spot. You know, he was going to take some visits to Wake Forest and, and Louisville. That ended up not happening just because... Um, or it's not going to happen just because of what's going on with the coronavirus. So I, I, maybe maybe that dead period actually helps Miami because Ryan has talked about having um, a, a decision made by the start of his senior season. So I think Miami's in a good spot. I mean, I would be nervous about LSU if they were to offer. Um, but again, and I think I've said this in the past, you know, he grew up in a household full of UM fans. So uh, I think he's looking for a reason or he, he would have to be looking for a reason not to go to Miami. And it seems like right now Miami's in the best spot and has done the best job recruiting him. And Seymour, do you feel like he's solid? Lawrence Seymour? <sighs> that that one's going to get interesting, I, I think. You know, he picked up a bunch of big-time offers uh, between that January and February window, like uh, LSU, Georgia, um, Tennessee, they all offered Minnesota, I think, did as well. Um, the one school that Miami fans should be concerned about and, and Miami staff is uh, Florida State. Uh, Seymour told me that the plan is to get up to Tallahassee at some point for a visit. Um, I think he had a date in mind. Again, I mean, who knows when I'll have the opportunity to get up there. Uh, so Florida State's one to be concerned about. But at the same time, I mean, Miami's done a great job of recruiting him. Stephen Field's been in there. I think I think Garen Justice has been in contact. So that that has a chance to be an interesting recruitment. Um, but it could also go the same way that Navon Donaldson's did. I mean, Navon, you know, he took a bunch of official visits late and then ended up sticking with Miami. So uh, I don't think there's any reason to panic there just yet. Were there any other like South Florida offensive linemen? that were there that caught your eye? Cause you know, we've talked about it plenty. It's not necessarily the deepest position annually in South Florida, but there's always, you know, three to five guys who we feel like are good enough to play at Miami. Um, was, was there anyone else that besides those two that, that caught your eye in that way? Well, yeah. So Miami had, I think it was five commits in total uh, at the camp. Lawrence Seymour was one. Uh, you had Ja'Cory Hammett, the, the linebacker out of Miami Northwestern. He was also there. Savion Collins, the defensive tackle out of Miami Palmetto. He was there. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget the other ones. Well, Michael McLaughlin, the offensive lineman from okay. uh, uh, Parkland, Stoneman Douglas. He, he was also there. And then Thad Franklin, he, he's the last one I was missing, the, the four-star running back. Uh, McLaughlin, you know, when you see him in person, you th- you look at that frame and you go, yeah, there's this kid has an NFL type body. Like this is what the league wants and, and looks for. And um, I, I thought he had a very mixed day. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I, I, I honestly don't even know if he won any of the one-on-one reps I saw, but 
I'm not worried about that because I think you're projecting long term here, and sure. he is someone that is very, very raw. Uh, when he committed, I think we said that on, on on the podcast episode. I mean, he's got a ways to go, and he's really only been playing offensive line for like nine months now. So, um, right. you know, he, to me, is a good take for Miami. It's just going to take time. And schools like Wisconsin have been making a, a killing off this in recent years. You know, they take two or three Michael McLaughlins every cycle, and then they, they redshirt him, stash him on the roster, uh, develop them and then two or three years they have a, a red shirt sophomore a red shirt junior that that's ready to go so i think that's right. the plan there with him and miami uh, mark rick admitted this i what was it, on the acc network that they wanted to do that with zion nelson they just uh things didn't work out that way so I, i'm fine with michael mclaughlin um one more offensive lineman that should be mentioned and i i wrote about this kid on Sunday on the site is Kareem Harden. He's a uh, three-star offensive lineman at, at a Stranahan, which is right in my neck of, of the woods in, in Fort Lauderdale. Um, he's a kid who I think he only had like MEAC offers uh, a couple months ago, but as this tape has started to make the rounds, um, some power five schools have got involved. He's talking with Garen Justice. He was on campus for the, the January junior day. Uh, I think he's got a chance. He's got he's got the power five tackle frame. I mean, again, a, a project of sorts. Uh, but he held his own, I thought, and uh, someone that Miami will probably evaluate this spring if there is spring football. Um, but someone they'll probably definitely get out to camp. And you know, if he's your fourth or fifth offensive lineman, like I don't I don't think it's that bad. How about the the defensive line? You mentioned Leonard Taylor blowing up the camp. Who else on the D line uh, caught your eye? Oof, uh, Dallas Turner. Like he's freaky good. <laughs> uh, he's the he's the edge rusher out of uh, Fort Lauderdale St. Thomas Aquinas. You know, played last his junior season at American Heritage. Had 16 sacks. Um, I don't know. If me and you have have discussed him on, on this podcast or, or brought him up, but we saw him playing safety in seven on seven, which yeah. is just freaky. Um, he put Miami in his top 10 uh, a few weeks ago. I, I however, think his recruitment's going to be a, a Alabama, Georgia battle, but you know, Miami r- rattles off a big season. Uh, why, why couldn't they uh, get, get involved there? Savion Collins, you know, I think he's probably going to flip to Florida I mean, if you guys follow Miami recruiting, you know, and just kind of read the tea leaves by all indications, uh, it seems it's going that way. I, I thought he had a pretty good day uh, just from an, yeah. an evaluation standpoint. You know, he's when you look at his body, you think he's pretty tight, uh, but he, he moves well. Um, I, I just I don't know if it would be a big loss for Miami if if and 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 when he probably flips to the Gators like. I, I don't I just don't know if he's on the same athletic level as maybe a Jalar Holly or a Gerard Harrison Hunt or a Jason right. Blissett. You know, th- those guys are, are freaky athletes, and I'm not sure Savion Collins is there. Like Savion has some good testing numbers, but he just seems to be kind of a little tight. Uh, any any receivers, any corners kind of show out at the camp to you? Um. Uh, Earl Little Jr., man. Uh, that That's the son of, obviously, Earl Little. He's a class of 2022 recruit. I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Um, I know someone told, said this, said last spring during the spring evaluation period, I, I had heard that some college assistant had, had went through American Heritage and, and said that Earl Little Jr., NFL guy. Uh, and at the time, yeah. I was like, I, I knew nothing about him. And then he slowly has progressed and gotten bigger. And I think he had four interceptions this past season. Uh, and then when I saw him at, at the Under Armour camp, I was like, this guy is is a dude. And 24-7 Sports is coming out with its new rankings uh, for the class of 2022 on, on Wednesday. And I fully expect him to be well inside that top 247. Like, he's, he's freaky good. Um, I put in a crystal ball pick for LSU, which is probably making a lot of Miami fans sick. Uh but, you know, when I was interviewing him, talking about top schools, he goes, yeah, yeah LSU's in there, but I also like Miami. So um, I, I think dad's going to make sure that the Hurricanes get a chance. Uh, I just don't know 
if Miami's going to be able to beat out Corey Raymond and LSU at the end of the day. Was there any other like big timers um, that were there that that you gotta that you got to talk about Miami with? What like I don't even know. Was was James Williams there? Yeah, that's the one I was gonna bring up. I mean, okay, James Williams. Uh, that was the biggest nugget that really came out of the whole day. He said that the plan was to visit Miami on March 21st uh, for Miami spring practice. That's obviously not happening, just kind of given what the current state of affairs in our country is right now. Um, but Bud Elliott, who also works for 24-7 Sports, you know, he also interviewed James Williams. And sometimes I like to do this. Like, a lot of times I get tied to when i interview kids they associate with me with miami so i feel like they're almost talking up miami uh, just just right. to appease the fan base but bud elliott was talking to james williams and i got a copy of the transcript and basically bud asked james hey who has a chance to be in that in that top three because if you remember james named a top three of uh clemson georgia in Alabama and James was quick to point out that it's probably Miami. Uh, and he also said that he has a great relationship, not only with Ephraim Bonda, but also, uh, Manny Diaz. And he also brought up the fact how Ed Reed is, is now in Coral Gable. So Miami, I'm not saying, you know, Miami's going to get him. I think Georgia is absolutely the favorite and, and should be the favorite, even if this thing goes, uh, the distance, but Miami, I guess we'll say is still alive. Is there any similarities, do you feel like, between his recruitment maybe and Avante Williams' recruitment? Like, could it yeah, go down that path? It, it could. I think we talked about this maybe when Avante picked Miami. Yeah. Um, if there was one guy this cycle who has decommitted that they could get back in the class, it's, it's probably James Williams. Uh, another one would be Jacoby George. Uh, you, you asked me about wide receivers. I, I totally forgot about him being there. You know, he's the the, the kid from uh, Plantation. Uh, had like a thousand yard season. Yeah. As a junior, I mean, he 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 might be one of the best kept secrets I think in Broward County this year. He told me that he's also planning to get back to to Miami at some point, and it was for a spring practice. But I think he would be um, a, a good fit for what they. Miami wants to do on offense from what we had a chance to see through those first four practices. Last thing I got for you on the camp. Um, did Thad Franklin work out? And if he did, how did he look? Who the the curious case of Thad Franklin. So Thad texted me the night before that he was not going to work out. Um, then we actually parked next to to each other in the parking lot and he told me he still wasn't going to work out. 45 minutes later, I see him running around, and he says he is working out. Um, so he did work out. I don't know what, what changed or, or whatnot. I guess he was dealing with a hamstring injury from uh, playing some basketball. Uh, you, if, if people are unaware, I mean, he's also like an AAU basketball player, and I think he played at Chaminade Madonna this, this past season at the high school level. I thought he had a really good day. Um, you know, these type of camps aren't really yeah. designed to, to showcase running backs, especially right. a physical runner like like Thad Franklin. But he moved well. I mean, I don't have any testing numbers. Um, and he caught like a bunch of passes during one on ones, like some contested cat, some contested catches as well. Like I think he did a wheel route out of the backfield against Jaden Hood, who's a three star linebacker from um, three star linebacker from. St. Thomas Aquinas and Franklin like essentially boxed him out on a jump ball and came down with it in the end zone. And there was some, someone was standing right next to me. They're like, Oh, that's his basketball background right there. And I'm like, yeah, that's an absolutely good point. I honestly think out of like all the running backs, Miami has signed in recent years that Franklin might have the best hands of the bunch. Interesting. And, uh, anything else, anything I didn't touch on or ask you about from the camp? Um, Ja'Cory Hammett, like, I've kind of been on the fence about him right. as a take for Miami. I, I, I'm kind of okay with it now after seeing him. You know, he worked out at defensive end, and he's being recruited to be a linebacker at Miami. I, I think, I think I, I think I wrote it in, in my thoughts coming out of that camp. Like, he could be 
an eventual starter in the ACC after after a few years. And why I'm okay w- with him as the take is I think he's way more athletic than maybe some of the other linebackers that they've brought in in recent years. And dude, just give me the speed. Give me the guys that can play multiple downs. Um, yeah. You know, Bradley Jen and uh, Wayman Steed have obviously been dinged up and had injuries throughout their career. But at the same time, those guys are pretty limited in size and what they're able to do. And Ja'Cory Hammett looks to be a legit 6'3", probably, I mean, heck, he's listed at 205, but I, I doubt he's even over 200 pounds. He might be 195 pounds. But you yeah. get him in that in, the, in that weight room with David Feely, and I, I think they might have something there. So um, I, I guess maybe st- I'm stock up on him, if that would make sense. Yeah. You've mentioned, I think, in the past that Miami feels like he's similar to Sam Brooks. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's what they're telling him. My issue with that is, it's like, all right, Sam Brooks played in the Independence Bowl. Like, let's right. let's wait till someone does something before we actually start comparing him. But yes, there are, there are some similarities there. Um, similar frames. I just I just want to see more of what actually you know Sam Brooks is before they start start comparing him to Sam Brooks. Tavares Dawson from Lehigh Acres, Fort Myers area. He was there, correct? And Yeah, and he worked out at wide receiver, and I'm starting to think he's more of a wide receiver, David. Like Really? He was making plays, yeah. huh? Yeah, I mean, he's fast. We saw him make plays in the in the Legends Classic, yeah. and I guess, I guess what really has me thinking he's a wide receiver is we were, we were talking about top schools, and he's like, oh, Louisville. Uh, I'm definitely going to visit Louisville. I think he also had a date. Maybe it was like two days from now when he was going to visit. Obviously, he's not visiting. Um, right. And, and I asked him, well, they like you at, at wide receiver? Or I said, they like you on defense? He's like, no, no wide receiver. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, they must think he's two-two. the next the next two two out. Well, exactly. Just with that speed. I mean, what, 10, five, eight in the, in the hundred meter dash this yeah. season, he's probably only going to get faster. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Does he care? Does, like, would he rather play receiver? Do you get that vibe? Um, yeah. I mean, if we're being honest, I think he's, for some reason, I, I most kids just, anytime there's, there's the chance where a kid could, could play both. I, I, I think, a lot of times the kids tort- tend to lean yeah. towards that. Um, and if that's the case, is he really going to be what Miami wants him to be on defense? Because Manny Diaz, right. uh, Blake Baker, and all those guys really want physicality uh, on that side of the ball. But if I'm Miami, I recruited to play offense. Like I think he's he's an absolutely okay. a four-star prospect. Um, so someone to keep... It it will be interesting to see if Miami changes its its tone there. Anything else that I missed uh, that you want to touch on from the camp? No, I think that's uh that's it. All right. Any other topics? Any other recruiting topics we should go into? Um, I think I wrote about this on Monday, but uh, let's kind of discuss it. You know, I mentioned in. The three things I think, three things I know that Miami is in contact with some some offensive linemen. I guess your reaction to that, I should say graduate transfer offensive linemen that, that are in the portal. What What is your thoughts on that? Because in the last podcast, you, you seem to think that made more sense than maybe taking yeah. uh, a wide receiver. I feel right. After seeing them the first week of or that one week, I guess it's going to be now, just that one week of spring football that we got to see. You know, I I do feel better about where things are with receiver. Um, Would I turn down a stud receiver? No. But I do think Miami would be better served uh, giving attention to some offensive linemen that uh, can play right away. I know one of the guys, I mean, do do you want to name the guys or not? that are in this VIP article. Dude, it's it's a sad time. Let's just give it away. <laughs> so, you know, one of the guys is a UCLA transfer, Chris Murray, who, you know, most likely is going to have to sit out, correct? I don't know. Because Florida State went and saw him in January. I mean, maybe, maybe they think there's a chance that he can get a waiver or something like that. 
But okay. yeah, I, I guess I guess he's a former top two four seven recruit. Played in the All American Bowl. Um, two year starter as a he started as a true freshman and then as a sophomore at UCLA. He's in the portal. So could he graduate in? I mean, I, I, I guess we should find out if he enrolled early. I mean, but yes, let's just assume that he's probably gonna just sit. So just my point is if if and look, maybe rule changes are coming by the start of next year where guys won't, you know, guys get one free transfer. Who knows? But my thing is if a offensive lineman has to sit, I don't know. Is it worth it? I think Miami needs to be in win now mode with this team while they have Derek King on the roster um, who only has one year at Miami. So I would I would personally rather hold spots for offensive line transfers that can come in, play right away, hopefully win a starting job right away, rather than... I mean, I think it has to be like a Jalen Phillips-type talent for Miami to want to take in a transfer that's going to have to sit a year. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree. Um, it, it, that one doesn't make sense to me. Like, I do think Chris Murray is a very talented player. Yes. But, like, yes, you. this staff should be in win-now mode. This staff need, should be – I need to find someone that I think can equal one more win in 2020. And, you know, the the other one you name in the article is, is from Akron, Brandon Council, who – He's definitely a tackle. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he started. I think he has 24 career starts. Three of them have been at tackle. The rest have been on the interior. But he has a, a tackle body. So yeah. So to me, that is more appealing. You know, I think the first team offensive line, in my opinion, was very interesting that we saw from you know Garen Justice and that group. Um, I would have really, really been interested in how that played out during the course of spring uh, in terms of whether he moved guys around or, or just kind of went with it was John Campbell at left and Kylie on Herbert at right. Correct. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, I I did not see that coming. Um, but if I am like reading into that. Basically, what I'm reading into with that is I think Garen is really focused on turning this offensive line into at least being a good run blocking group. Um, I don't think that was necessary. I think Zion was fine when his technique was okay in terms of run blocking, but he just lacks the strength at this point to really be effective getting consistent push. Um, you know, I think you could debate whether John Campbell and Kylie on Herbert are acceptable pass protectors, but I think the counterpoint to that would be, well, this new offensive system should help them just get in the way blockers, you know, hold things down for two and a half seconds. And then hopefully the ball is out or Derek King is so athletic enough that he can, by time if if the pass pro does break down um but with all this being said i would i would if i'm miami i would try and bring in an offensive tackle transfer that i feel like could come in and start at either one of those spots you know left and right and i think in my in my opinion i think john campbell is ideally a right tackle or guard. I don't know if they have a left tackle on the roster, to be honest. Uh, I don't think they have one ready to go this year. Maybe Zion. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess just in general, Andrew, what was your thoughts on the first team offensive line they rolled out during the first week of spring? What do you, what do you was, take away? I'm, and I was surprised by the move. Um, I, I guess where some of those guys were, but I, I, I right. don't think that's where everyone ends up. And I will say, 
kind of circling back to what we said at, at the beginning of the podcast, like getting those four practices in was probably huge just for Garen Justice to now know, yeah. all right, I think I can do this with this guy there. Um, maybe that's why they want to go to the offensive line or, or maybe that's why they, they're thinking of using the final counter on an offensive lineman. And may, maybe it is a guard. Um, I do agree with your assessment. Zion still has a, has a ways to go. Uh, I'm not fully on board on the, on the Kylie on Herbert train. I, I think I'm right. more, I'm more on John Campbell, but I know, yeah, I think you're, I think, no, you're, I, I like John Campbell more than Kylie on, but I'm not. I don't love it at left tackle, if that makes sense. One more quick thing with the graduate transfers. And just when you were talking, uh, 24-7 Sports did a good story uh, on the main page. It came from Chris Hummer. Kind of some anonymous takes and and reaction from college coaches kind of regarding this new dead period that's gone in about the coronavirus. And one of them had to actually do with uh, graduate transfers. And I hadn't really thought about this. Um, and I'm interested to see, I guess, if, if this does become an issue. And that's the fact that, you know, some schools are recruiting graduate transfers under the assumption that these kids are going to graduate in the spring. But now since pretty much every college has shifted to online classes, are these kids still going to graduate and be eligible? So that's something that I didn't even really think about. No, that's fair. I mean, I think I don't think schools will want to penalize, you know, the students for having to deal with this as best as possible. But you just never know. I mean, that's just the state we're in right now where everything's up in the air. So I would assume things like if guys still have four classes till they graduate, I don't think they're going to pull the rug out from under their students. But We'll see, I guess. Yeah. All right, David, anything else before you uh, wrap this up? I think that's it. You know, we're, we're still going to keep this podcast going uh, once a week. You know, we'll, we'll figure out stuff to talk about. We understand that, you know, this is a stressful time in this country, and we kind of want to provide somewhat of an outlet or, or distraction uh, for people to maybe escape um, – the the real world so we're gonna keep it going we'll have some some good topics organized for the next podcast even though really there's not going to be much news going on but uh (laughs) but we'll figure it out and, and we'll keep this thing rolling all right guys we'll talk to you next time take care